Welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and today we're talking esports. That's right. It's your favorite. It's another esports show. And I'm thrilled to have Jacqueline Manor with us today. Jacqueline is an esports consultant, a host, a tournament organizer, influencer, contact creator, and official commentator of the Capcom Pro Tour for Street Fighter V. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's okay. She's going to explain it all to us. She's hosted various gaming shows such as Replay, Squad State, and Heads Up Daily, as well as many tournaments from, is that CSGO? Is that how you, how do you say that? It's CSGO? to a Okay, to a variety of fighting games. Now, Jacqueline has commented, uh, commentated and competed in tournaments all over the world. She was project manager on some of Canada's most ambitious gaming events, was on the executive for various sports teams by managing events and contact content production, and she continues to make waves in esports. She is currently, get this, she's currently the director of Humbert College Esports, Please join me in welcoming to the show, Jacqueline Manor. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I saw your bio uh, when I was doing research, and I knew I needed to get you on because first and foremost, you got to tell us your your whole story about be, being a professional in esports, and then tell us about what you're doing now. So walk us through how did you get started. And how did you, how are you making a career in esports? Explain it to people. So I'll, I guess I'll answer the second part first. So uh, career-wise, I'm quite established now. So I'm the director of Humber College Esports. And what that entails is that I oversee the program, I oversee the competitive teams, and then I oversee the student volunteers that want to use this as their extracurricular outlet and really I, I like to tell people, you know, it's like, you know, they're all roads lead to Rome. I'm like, no, 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 that's old now. All roads lead to esports. <laughs> so no matter where you are, if you want to fit esports in, into your career, it can be done. There's a path. Okay. So, so yeah, explain. So talk about the college and uh, talk about the different teams you have. I mean, your job, you have a really busy job. Talk about everything that your job entails. So, like, so much. Uh, so we have anywhere from six to nine competitive teams a term. Uh, anything from a first-person shooter, so just like storytelling first-person, you are right in the action. So you'll just see, like, your hands and maybe the guns. So we have Rainbow Six Siege, which has a very healthy collegiate scene thanks to the company that develops it, Ubisoft. Uh, we have the number one Call of Duty team in North America, not just Canada, North America. And so that is another first-person shooter. Uh, and then CSGO, which is just short form for Counter-Strike Global. And each of them kind of bring their own flavor to what a first-person shooter is. So some of them use strictly a controller and some of them use mouse and keyboard. They usually do not use both in one game and that is because there is an aiming advantage when you have the mouse it's very easy to like point and click as opposed to a controller which has like two moving sticks right your eyes are one and your feet are another mm. uh, i also have competitive card games so a lot of card games are going online uh some um, your listeners might know has been around since the early 90s it's called magic the gathering and that has gone into a digital form. And so it's kind of surviving the pandemic and that's seen uh, esports glory just from being consumed in a digital format. And then the other card games we have is like Shadowverse and Hearthstone. So they're all iterations of, you have cards you put on the table which are monsters and then you attack each other with them. And we also have for fighting games, which is obviously my specialty, we have currently Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, which is just the Nintendo franchise has made a mishmash of all their characters and they can fight each other. So uh, a, a wide. My, my even kids actually sports, showed me. I was I was just I was watching uh, I was watching people compete on Twitch uh, earlier this week in that particular game. 
And it's it's amazing because there's you could be a mon one person could be a monster and another person's like a superhero and they each have different powers and there's there are commentators talking talking about what's going on like just like any other sport live action while these two folks and you see in little boxes off to the side the people at the stations playing the game it's it's super cool we we literally just downloaded twitch on all of our on all of our devices on all on all, on all of our computers on our fire stick out in the living room and you know the more i get into esports the more we're watching and so now i actually know what that is and when you talk about it i can be like i get it um and it's it's unbelievably popular you're, so you're like an athletic director for esports because you have all of these competitive teams that are out there, and right. you're you're in charge of everything to do with the teams, right? So you have to go out and find coaches and all that stuff. So I yeah I oversee all the operations from securing sponsorships to what the brand looks like and sounds like on social media to like the community piece uh, because esports. Even though we always compare it to traditional sports, a big difference is that the students have not necessarily grown up playing this game. Some iterations of the game change every single year. Uh, some of them have only been competitive the last five years. So sometimes there is that team dynamic piece that is missing from parents who have entered their children into traditional sports since three years old. There's also so uh, just a lot of social stigma around playing esports. So around the college, even if my teams are quietly playing on the computers upstairs, if there's an event, people will have walked out of the event to come upstairs and be like, "You're too loud. You're too loud." And I was like, these, "Some of these are like the quietest children at at the school. They're not. They'll have a moment where they go like, yes, but it's by no means taking away from your event." downstairs on the other level where everyone's schmoozing so it comes with a lot of yeah there's stigma that slowly esports is breaking and then there's just the astonishment that people can win money mm -hmm. the students can even win money which is not the case with traditional sports so a lot of lines do cross and then a lot of lines are totally different and do you do you recruit do you have to go do you go out and recruit kids to come to uh humber college to, for esports or do, do well, kids come in and you're like oh you're good let's see if we can get you a scholarship how does it work so luckily uh we have a really fabulous recruitment team at the college and they do the legwork for recruiting high schools mm -hmm. so they go in and we basically have like an internal wiki where i can put all the information all the logos everything they need and then they go around and say you know how serious like you have to dedicate at least 20 hours a week to practices and then from there it's uh, done by the students so if there's a want for the team for instance rocket league which is soccer with cars to just water it down to be as bland as possible uh, that team is brand new this year because the students wanted to form it so to form a team, the students have to want it. Uh, they need a coach and an assistant coach. And usually those are not players. So you need someone to really be kind of like the rock of that team and really like help encourage them and sign up and look for tournaments. And then they basically put together a presentation which gets vetted by my student executive. So I've hired students who work for me. And then once they feel it's good enough, they present it to me and I say, oh, all right, you're you're dedicated and you're here enough to want a team. So let's let's make a team happen because I expect, you know, reflection pieces so that at the end of the year when they don't make a 2.5 GPA and can't collect prize money, it's not like a shock, mm. right? Like I'm like, well, all your player reports told me you were fine in your academics. So this is on you. Or if there's, you know, red flags, I can check in on them. Because they're students, and students these days, you know, it's there's building blocks with like grit, resilience, and things that we're always working on. So, I'm I'm fairly lenient in my program, but also, you know, there's there's a standard when you play for a school that sure. I expect them to meet. And who decides yeah. who decides what tournaments each team enters? The coach and the assistant coach. And the nice part about collegiate tournaments is a lot of them are free. And then the ones with higher prize pools usually have an entry fee. And then the entry fee is covered by the college. So we're under the, fee, uh, the faculty of media arts. 
And they have been gracious enough to basically give us life. Mm. They funded all of our training spaces. We have two separate training spaces at school. Uh, we submit like the invoices and they help us with all the tournaments and they've just really seen this thing kind of be a dream and really bring it into fruition. It's a little bit harder with COVID uh, just because the school provides like state of the art computers. Mm -hmm. So we don't have that kind of socioeconomic barrier that some students would feel yeah. like it, it's really hard to say you need a $3,000 computer to play, yeah. which sometimes is just the case. And we, so at school they, they don't have to even mention they can just use our facilities so it's i'm very i don't know very like thankful to the school for really recognizing this and taking off because it is a little bit scary telling a, a school you know there's gonna be a bunch of kids playing video games for 20 hours a week for you <laughs> but it's serious and it's a competition a lot of people are like wait when, when did this happen what's going on yeah, I think a lot of our listeners are probably thinking that right now. So let's let's talk a little bit about the so the the teams they do they play year round. There's no season because the tournaments happen all the time, right? There's a little bit in collegiate. There's uh, usually a term one and a term two kind of season. So they'll call it uh, fall season and winter season. So okay. when the semesters start, and it really depends on the league there are several leagues tespa t-e-s-p-a um c-s-l ontario started a new initiative where they're trying it out called o-p-s-e where that's kind of trying to get the ontario collegiate scene under a flag and uh, what else face it there are so many popping up at ucea which does counter-strike and then lots of colleges are hosting their own where they'll say, you know, it's a hundred bucks, come sign up. Um, I know Knoxville has a really great, great crew of students that put together uh, Call of Duty tournaments and they're like, they're amazing. You mm. know, it's just how much of these initiatives are also student led. And they're all, and, it, and it's all remote. So your, your team plays from your facility. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, down the road, when COVID is over, you could go to like a, they, they have stadiums. And I mean, there, there was a uh, I was interviewing a guy last week and he was telling me about a tournament years ago that sold out the Staples Center. I'm sure there's been more of them since then. But, mm -hmm. you know, right now you guys play where you are and the other the other the other teams you're playing in the tournament play where they are. And because it's online, it doesn't people can be anywhere in the world and enter the tournaments. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where this is where uh, actually a key piece if people are into developing computer software and into coding, this is where you come in in esports because it is heavily reliant on the net code. And if a game does not have a solid net code, which essentially just means when you connect to the server, how strong is the partnership between the two devices talking mm. and if it's not strong enough your game cannot be that competitive so for instance uh smash bros ultimate like let's look at some numbers uh nintendo last year i believe had you know what net revenue of 12.1 billion and they have the worst net code i've ever seen to the point where the game is almost unplayable at a competitive level. Wow. So what does my Smash team have to do? They have to just kind of try to play locally against each other and do their best. Mm. That That's it. You're really at the mercy of the people who develop the game and how serious they take the competitive nature. Now, this might not be Nintendo's brand. They are a family-oriented company. Uh, the scene over the years historically has been toxic. Uh, historically problematic is that something you want to fester in your brand umbrella so that is kind of how i try to explain the nintendo situation so Other when you say i want to oh, stop you there for a minute when you say it's a, it's been toxic like people you know cur cursing at each other and being nasty while they're playing the game that type of thing if if that was the problem in smash i would not have a problem with the community okay. the, the problems the problem, are yeah. very deep-seated uh, issues. There are, God, I, I don't even know if I could say it on the podcast. They're very, very like sexual assault. 
you know, uh, involvement with minors, like historically dark and evil. <laughs> and it's just the people who play that game or that game. It's, it's pervasive in that game. In that community, which is very right. big, there are, you know, a lot, a lot of issues within it. So wow. I think, uh, you know, I, I was almost of the mind where I was like, we need to like, like a forest fire, burn mm. it all down and let it restart. Wow. So, uh, but that's many communities of many different sports have their issue. I know like women in the traditional sports space have a lot of issues. So there are problems everywhere and that's not to tell people to shy away from it but i can definitely say you know from development standpoint something like league of legends which has like very polished european then na and then uh you know asian tournament scene where the commentators show up and are in like you know proper proper attire for broadcast and you sure. see like a level of seriousness and then you see smash bros and you're like oh it's supposed to be like a fun kind of children's game and then there are just monsters in the community, yeah. like actual monsters. Like so, derelicts, yeah. Yeah, it's very difficult then for me to convince people that this is like a worthy noble cause and like find those moments and find those gems. But it's still gaming is making a lot of money. It's getting more views than the Super Bowl. Uh, the prize pool of a game that is the most difficult one of the, one of the most difficult games is called Defense of the Ancients 2. Mm -hmm. So long, right? What What is that even about? It's essentially a capture the flag game. And the prize pool at the biggest tournament, the international, is $25 million. Wow. $25 wow. million. And it's a team of five guys and maybe two subs. Mm -hmm. So there's really, uh, even though it's, again, eSports... There are so many different facets and different games. It's just like saying, like, I like sports. And then people go, well, do you like baseball? Sure. That has a culture. Do you like soccer? That has a culture. So they're, they're very, even though we put them in an umbrella, they're very much their own thing. And they all have their own ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. You refer to, to each game. Each game has its own community. So it's like, it, you know, and here's for those of you who are listening, who are who are familiar with let's say the NFL, uh, years ago, five, six years ago, there was a big scandal with the New York Jets. I, I happen to be a New York Jet fan. Five or six years ago, there's a big scandal with the New York Jets where there, was a, there were uh, reports of harassment and sexual assault at Jet games among Jet fans in the parking lot. And they, the police did an investigation and they said, oh, it's pervasive. It's just the way, you know, it's the culture of the fan that, that attends those games. And I'd been to Jet games and I, I had seen bad behavior, but I hadn't seen anything that bad. And it, it had gotten worse over the years. So just like there's a community, there was a community of bad people that were, you know, fans of the New York Jets there. I guess there is a community of bad, really bad people that are that were involved that are involved with that particular game. Um, talk to me about, talk to me a little bit about, I mean, you're, you're super sharp and you're woven into your, your career is integrated into the fabric of esports now. Where are the business opportunities in esports? Because everybody that I know that's interested in this is like, well, how do I get in and, and what do I do? You know, do I, do I sponsor? Do I, you know, do I promote sponsorships? Do I sponsor, do I form a team and, you know, pay for the team to do stuff? Like where are the business opportunities? What do you see as a business opportunity? So really the main business opportunity is you have to look at it as you are producing an ad agency. That is what you are making. You are not making a team of competitive players. You are making an ad agency. And where you will see your return on investment is in the sponsorships and the relationships you can make. Mm. So basically, it helps to have a flagship player. If you have that one player who is dynamite and phenomenally good on your roster if you're looking to make a team so mm. this is your initial investment i would say you need at least five hundred thousand to start up uh and you should look at you know getting a videographer a graphics designer and then your main content person who's like your executive assistant you need your flagship player and then you need to essentially send them to tournaments and get noticed. Your first year, you just need to get noticed. Again, like business, there's not gonna be ROI your first year. 
once you get noticed uh, going to tournaments, and this is pre-COVID, uh, Networking is obviously super important and the easiest way to network is your player getting noticed, which is why having someone with like a keen eye is really important. Once you have your player and they're doing their thing, then the next piece is for your ad agency is what you're essentially making is you need the influencers. Influencers are the main thing to invest in right now because they are even doing more of the legwork for advertising than the players really strong influencers are going to have their nine to five will be broadcasting on your Twitch channel mm -hmm. there. Uh, for instance, certain brands, you know, they will give you, it really depends. You can get like two to 5,000 a month per brand deal that you, you have, but they have very strict rules that you have to adhere to. So again, your return on investment will always be the advertisements that you can put on your players and influencers. So maybe they only drink that certain drink. So mm -hmm. even if I have tea, the logo of the sponsor, it appears that I'm having their drink. Anywhere from 30 second shout outs to this, to that. Uh, it is a lot, a lot, a lot of like stress to start up your own team so if that's the business venture you really have to have someone with a very keen eye that can find people who have entertainment value you want like right. the actress and actor like that it factor and then they'll be like oh my goodness i'm so excited to use this brand new controller from this company and that is the only way you will make your investment back mm -hmm. uh it is a huge money sink to start a team because the minimum a player expects if they don't get salary is that you fly them to the tournament and you pay for them and sometimes they will not only want pay they'll want their meals covered they will want their ubers covered so you really have to see like what is the money sink into someone and how much are they actually worth mm -hmm. so you really need to and then some are great personalities on a stream and great influencers and they're like every time you have a sponsor and you get controllers i want the new controllers that come out and then some will have a salary salaries can range uh some people make 500 a month on the low end and then uh, some salaries for your players and influencers on top of flying them to a tournament and paying for the tournament could be around, you know, one to 5,000 or mm -hmm. one to 7,000 if you really have, you know, someone up there. And then some, uh, if they're really, really giving you your return on investment, I've seen people pay, you know, like a proper six-figure salary to have that player on their team. But you really get that like the thoroughbred you know right, <laughs> you right. have a, a fabulous team and fabulous players so it can really your investment can range if you decide to start up a team it's really important to have strong accountant and the number one most most important thing when you start an esports team is you better have a good lawyer and not an esports lawyer you have a really good lawyer and the contracts you make always benefit you so Which why do you say yeah no, no no why why do you say not an esports lawyer what is what what is the what what's the issue with esports lawyers tell me so i see like i see a lot of people saying they are esports lawyers mm -hmm. and i'm not like i'm not trying to disparage or belittle it mm -hmm. but in my experience the things i've seen I like I need a lawyer like I need someone who has big skin in the game is dealing with huge numbers mm -hmm. and like if if you see a billion dollars on the screen I need a lawyer that does not sweat when mm -hmm. they see that number you know okay, yeah. uh, because there are a lot a lot of risks involved in esports and a lot of times you know uh, for instance players signing a player they are already signed on a contract and then you recruit them and you say are you signed to another team and then they say no 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 i'm not i'm not and then they sign a contract with you now all of a sudden they're in two contracts they're 15 years old they don't understand they think they've pulled a fast one i'm on my new team now mm. and you have to make a six thousand dollar phone call you know yeah. to get your lawyer to look at it 
what's going on. The new contract is void because you can't sign right, if right. you're under a right. contract. Sure. The clause is in there. And then uh, the old contract, the manager goes, all right, I'll, I'll release him for $15,000. Right. If you've got a good lawyer, you're going to get him released yeah, yeah. for free. Sure, he's getting released. Oh, the contract right? is void. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I get it. Okay, yeah, so there. So basically, different. there's people who are practicing law who don't who don't really know what they're doing, calling themselves esports lawyers. Is what you're is what you're telling me? I'm not saying that. I know plenty of good esports lawyers that are in the game. But like, if you're starting a team, yeah, if you're, yeah. you're starting a team, get get a heavy hitter. And if yeah. you're getting an esports lawyer, you know, check check the resume. Yeah. who do they represent? Obviously, the ones doing Team Liquid, Cloud9, you know, it's, it's a different story. They're used to dealing with big teams. But if you're just starting out and you see someone, they're like, I'm an eSports right, lawyer. Right, right, right. I, I sincerely caution that notion. I yeah. really, you know, get some references. If they can give you some three good references, sure. <laughs> Um, talk to me, talk to me about other opportunities in esports. So besides starting a team, right? Are there, are there opportunities from a, from a, from a, a branding point of view? So are there, are there people out there who work with specific brands to get the ideal placement, like get the brands placed on specific teams or do the brands usually do that stuff themselves? Like what are some of the other roles? What are some of the other opportunities in esports in general? It's really, I try to tell my students it's any kind of opportunity. So for brands and branding, uh, a big thing is doing the live streams and having unboxing where they do a big reveal, uh, just using uh, the branding organically within a video and having, uh, what I really like is when brands do like funded trips. Mm -hmm. So the whole time, say you have, like these are Razor, headset and i'm not sponsored by them but if i was it's like we would go on a trip and we'd be listening to music with our razor headphones yeah. you know so i really think uh the lifestyle launches work really well and you see that with gillette gillette did a huge thing with uh, a player named bjergsen on team solo mid and it was just like tons of commercials of him shaving and to, to lots of people it's just like oh this is a good looking cat who's shaving his face but the reality is, you know, millions upon millions watch the team solo mid tournaments. He is known as the best player who plays the mid lane in the capture the flag type game. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it was a, I think it was a great brand launch for, you know, young men. <laughs> Shave your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, so I, I really like those kinds of partnerships, um, even if they're unexpected and you're like, I don't know if this particular esport could show this off they'll show they'll show off anything as if it's part of their contract you can really integrate very well the other way to integrate is brand placement on jerseys sure uh if you're a company uh depending on your investment you really want prime real estate so the prime real estate in my personal opinion i think is the shoulders mm-hmm so if you're looking to invest and you want your logo somewhere, I really, really suggest you are either the first on the long sleeve of the shoulder or you're placed somewhere on the shoulder or up in the sh shoulder area. Because when they're photographed, they're photographed always, you know, usually from waist, waist up. up. And yeah. lots of the pictures, too, if they're playing and you're on, you know, they have like a player two side they like or, you know, the camera always pans the key the camera will always see the logo on the shoulders. So I think if you are looking to, you know, invest in just starting out by putting your logo on something, really fight for that shoulder position. And you can tell a team, like, it needs to go there. You don't, you don't have to be afraid if they're like, okay, sure. we, we designed a jersey and we put you, you know, on, on the back where no one will see there's a chair there. You can, like, you can say, for this investment of this a month, you will place our logo this size on 
the shoulder. <laughs> and so the, there's product integration. So like like right now, uh, the the shot of you over your shoulder, we see your computer and there's a wall behind you. So if they're, if we're doing live streams from practice, there could be branding on the wall during oh, yeah. practice. Like a Red could Bull be, logo, yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. the mini fridge. Like my, like my background, like my background screen is, is where they, is where they practice on Twitch. And do you, mm -hmm. do they, will, would you have like influencers commentating during practice? sessions too uh and doing and dropping in uh sponsorships or is it just the players interacting with the people on the stream during practice sessions how how would you how, do, how does it work with you know uh teams and practices because i've seen like team practices where they're interacting with people and taking questions but sometimes they're only taking questions from the people who pay them other times they're taking questions from everybody but the people who pay them get bigger shout outs like how who organizes that and how does that work so for, so for instance, the Call of Duty team, you would uh, organize the scrims internally. So usually you hire a coach on. A coach salary could be anywhere from like two to 4000 a month for if you're in like Call of Duty Pro Leagues. It's been franchised now, but this is just an example. Um, and so they will organize the scrims with all the other teams. Mm -hmm. Whether you stream or not, usually a scrim, the practice session is not streamed against another team because you don't want people getting intel. Yeah. But if your team is playing together and they're doing like fun online promotional streams, you can really decide how you want to monetize it. So Twitch has, you know, partnerships, they have affiliates, and then they have, you know, just you are using the platform. Uh, and they usually receive, you know, donations sometimes companies do charity drives where if you donate uh on a paypal they'll get it that way really though i try to let players decide how they want to monetize that kind of thing sure you know sure um if you're established enough in starting your team you can just let the players on their own channel you know keep the money they make as something extra um, you could look into revenue share if there's someone really really big pulling in you know they sit there and have 10 to 20,000 views every time they start up their stream. For them, you would probably want to have like logos placed in the lower third mm -hmm. and always bring up, you know, this, we're taking a break right now, but this stream is brought to you by, now that Twitch is partnered with Amazon too, they have lots of like uh, ingrained buying programs. Mm -hmm. So a little thing will pop up. It'll be like, oh, if you want this, click here. And then yeah. you get a percentage of that sale. Sure. It's a, it's a Amazon affiliate model, like with books and stuff. If you put a link in on your website mm -hmm. to a book or so to a product and, you know, you get like 10 cents for every unit they sell, depending on the percentage or whatever. Yeah. That's really yeah, cool. But really, whoever you are, you can get into esports. If you're a photographer, you can do esports photography. It's brand new. Mm -hmm. People don't know what it looks like. You can explore that creativity. Uh, I always tell my culinary students, get in to esports because these teams need to eat mm -hmm. you know and usually they'll hire in a chef some teams have live-in chefs and you know that that chef is the make or break difference for a lot of those players on team liquid their chef is manny and if you read his interviews like some of these kids have been outside of korea for like months and like that kind of heel research their culture and their food and then be able to make it and it's that kind of comfort factor that will really really help a player and really help them you know the morale on your team so culinary the chef is just as important as the player is just as important as the coach you really need to make like a very proper ecosystem yeah it's in in, that's incredible it's it's so it's so much more involved than you know people think about kids sitting around playing video games and it's so much more involved than that um, talk a little yeah. bit about the the players. So you you've mentioned you know fifteen year olds the the age range. What is the age range of players? Are there you know are there old guys like me or or is it is it mostly just younger people? Like athletics, there's a lot of like the seventeen to twenty five demographic. Mm -hmm. That's that's the main. But as long as you are staying sharp mm -hmm. you know you 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 have way more longevity in esports than you do traditional sports uh so street fighter 2 i like to go to japan for street fighter 2 tournaments i think the game came out in like 1996 the guys who are playing are 47 
And essentially in Street Fighter, you know, you have motions and then after a motion, you have to push a button. Mm -hmm. And they can see. So when, when a frame is shown, movies and television and games, they play at 60 frames a second. Mm -hmm. And Street Fighter characters move at 60 frames a second. And they can see at 46, they can see like four frames. So when a character just goes like this and goes to do their move, they're able to react to that. And for me, wow. that that's amazing. And yeah. so you then then you see the final points, like looking at it and not understanding. You're like, it's a bunch of people pushing buttons, and whoever pushes the button fastest is going to win. But what they're actually doing is uh, looking to react to the motions happening on stream and, and uh, on the screen. And I like I just felt suffocated <laughs> playing in the arcades in Japan. Like I would go to jump and like they would just see the f the motion of the feet just lightly leaving the ground and they've already calculated what to do. Wow. Yeah. And there's math involved. Yeah. It's integers, you know? Like when you hit someone and they block it, you're at negative four frames. So if they have a two frame move, when you're negative four, all of a sudden they can, they can get in because you're that negative, right? So all of it is frame data. So if you're getting kids and you're like, oh, this is just mindless, you know, you... The, Look at the integers of it. Look at the frame data. Can they calculate it? it? It starts out as fun. Yeah, yeah. And then I tell people, like, I don't have fun playing video games anymore. I'm in spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm in dollar values. <laughs> I'm in, you know, how many... Uh, StarCraft is a, is a great instance of that where they talk about uh, APM, which is actions per minute. So how many actions can you do? StarCraft is essentially a game where... I guess you could call it like you're setting up for war. So you build a base and you manage soldiers and you get ready to attack the other team. And it's considered good if you could do 500 actions in one minute it with giving like orders, yeah. setting up the base. And then a pro player, when they're finally like their brain is unlocked, the third eye has opened, they see the future. Some of these guys are doing 800 actions per minute wow. wow executions on the computer and so for someone to like say to me like it's just video games you know they're just clicking stuff i'm like can your brain yeah. process five to eight hundred separate tasks at one minute yeah that's incredible that's really incredible and yeah. you know if you think about it there's there's a lot of innate talent that goes into that because you have to have a brain that processes that fast. And then the training comes in not just in knowing the game and knowing how to react, but the physical nature of it, too. This is why diet is so important. That's why sleep is so important. Totally. I mean, think yes. about it. If you don't get a good night's sleep, you have a hard time remembering people's names. So how are you going to process 600, 700 actions per minute if you didn't get a good night's sleep? It's unbelievable. Yeah, uh, and it, it's a huge problem that was happening before where people would have, like, these team houses and I hated it. Mm -hmm. I hated living in a team house where like you're just like you're around your players all the time. Yeah. Like I'm like, I hate this. Uh, so now they're moving into something. The, the buzzword is esports 3.0, 2.0 or 3.0. And now the players, you live in your own house mm -hmm. and then you come to the office to practice. And I think that's way better because the students I work with at the college, right? You live in your dorm or you live in your own house and mm -hmm. then you come to the college to practice and i just felt like they were a little bit more like ha they were happier yeah you know like being yeah. being around each other all the time and then like having to work like uh, uh, for listeners at home imagine you work all day with your coworkers, then you go to sleep then you go and home you and hang out with them at home. Yeah. you fight yeah. over the remote together <laughs> and it's it's seven days a week yeah whose turn is it that. to clean the bathroom it's your turn no it's your turn <laughs> yeah and so i think this is a much healthier model because people before were like oh they're young they're fine but like no you don't you don't want to live with your coworkers, so don't don't make young people do it yeah yeah um, okay, let's let's talk a little bit about the college environment now. And when we when we spoke pre-show, you were, you told me about scholarships. Talk to me about um, scholarships and esports because this is something that really surprised me. 
Yes. So uh, depending on the school, there's definitely different scholarship opportunities. Now, rumor on the street is that uh, this one university in Windsor, St. Clair, they actually have like a salary for their players on the esports teams. Mm -hmm. So whether that is a tuition credit or not, I would assume yes. They make anywhere from 500 to 1500 depending on their skill level. So I was quite shocked. We had a graduate of St. Clair, their esports, they have like a two-year esports certificate program. I'm not sure what the program involves, something with esports. So he came to Humber and he said, this is how it's like at this school. And I was like, wow, that it's very progressive. Mm -hmm. St. Clair is one of our most progressive esports schools in Canada. Our school, I find, is very progressive, but I like to focus on, you know, the, the, the very much the competition. Um, that's where I thrive. Our school, we offer two scholarships. So each is 1500 and we offer it to our competitive players. The students nominate them, and they have been graciously donated to the school by someone named John Ferreira. So he works with a Canadian bank called uh, TD Bank and he does portfolios and investments. And so he decided to give back to college esports and get involved with esports. So he has a scholarship in his name. So if people are looking to get into esports and you want like a safe investment, mm -hmm. uh, this scholarship is a great investment because the school will the school will promote you we like we as a team will obviously help promote you depending on what you donate like for humber if you donate ten thousand dollars we have like a huge donator wall a huge recognition ceremony you know there's lots of and then all of our other partners see that and there's ways to like network and build connections that way so i think a good investment is always investing in youth and investing in you know, college and making their lives easier. So I'm really proud that we have $3,000 every year to give away. That might seem like a little bit to an American listener, but uh, the reality is uh, college school years, is maybe five, $6,000 for one year to go. In Canada, and yeah, because it's subsidized, yeah. right? Yeah, the, doesn't the, go the government subsidizes it? Isn't, isn't We're that public, yeah, yes. Yeah, so. The college is public, yeah. So it's not wildly expensive where university is privatized so you'll spend a good chunk of change and if i was running a university program i would try to get my students a good chunk of change as well in in the u.s are the students allowed to make money in esports or no at college at everywhere students are allowed to make money yeah canada and the u.s it is very much a given that something must have what's called the prize pool mm -hmm. so yeah if if you don't pay they're not going to play. Yeah. They just like. Well, because they could play, hard. they could enter the tournaments on their own without the, without the, you know, the guidance or the, the, you know, under the, under the banner of the schools. So if totally. they could enter this, the tournaments on their own, it makes sense that you're going to pay them. Nobody's, nobody's starting up a college football team <laughs> and entering the NCAA. <laughs> yeah. But you can do some, that in esports. <laughs> some, some of the collegiate leagues require you to be actually affiliated with the college. But I mean, some, like some of the leagues don't they're just public leagues and like it's yeah. it's anyone who plays street fighter can enter this online tournament yeah so so, so jackie yeah. look into your crystal ball and tell me do you see any type of league organization i know like uh madden or i think nba 2k that they have organized leagues and territories that people have to own do you see other esports, like other games, other communities moving in that direction? Is there ever going to be like an NFL of esports type of thing? They did try to set that up. The issue with the gaming community is that authenticity is so clutch. And they are, so you, you have to remember, these. this is a community who grew up with video games not being cool and mm -hmm. you not being cool and you getting made fun of. So now that we're here in this esports sector where there's a lot of money being thrown around, you have to be really cautious with the investment. So Overwatch League is a really good look at sports teams getting involved in a league setting. And it was millions to buy in to Overwatch League. Mm -hmm. And so each 
basketball team, I believe, set up their own Overwatch team. For those who don't know, Overwatch is a game where it is a first-person shooter and you're in a map and you either have to get an objective on the map or there's various different things you can do. That was a failure. It was a total failure. And I think it's a failure because 100,000 people might tune into a game. When you're on the internet, a hundred thousand is nothing. Yeah. Like, if, like I wouldn't want to get out of bed for a hundred thousand views in an Overwatch League match when I invested, you know, five to eleven million, depending on when I bought in. So it's an example of just because it worked in traditional sports, just because you're used to running a league, it does not necessarily mean it will take off. And so. Someone who had a really good article on that is John Yao, who is the CEO of Team Secret. And it's very much, if you're too much of an outsider, it will not be successful. So if you are an outsider and you want in, you better find someone inside. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a, like a puppet dictatorship, really. You need, you know, the, the face and then you can get in. Because they're, they're very cautious of who they're working with just because you have to remember it's it's like a history of you're not cool you're not cool you're not cool oh you make money mm. we want to be your, your, it, essentially we're the kids at lunch that are the losers of the class and then the one day we brought mcdonald's to school yep. that all you know everyone's your friend they're like oh you've always been my friend i want some fries and right. then you're like cool for like that portion of the day so it's a little bit of that sentiment a little bit of a lot of people involved in the industry are very young. Yep. And so they don't have the experience. So they, they think it's a, it's a little bit of hubris. They think they know, but they don't know. Right. So uh, sometimes being young brings a lot of innovation and sometimes there's a lot to be said for experience. So if you are looking to get in, I would be very cautious about an investment with leagues but what I would keep an eye on is uh, definitely, you know, where crypto is going, there's been lots of strange things happening there and maybe not necessarily invest in the crypto company itself, but if there are leagues that are looking to like pay out in crypto or work with crypto, like I think NVIDIA is a graphics card designer and they like, they are not necessarily working with Bitcoin, but they'll take payment in Bitcoin. Mm, Interesting. That it's kind of interesting to look at like an investment in NVIDIA NVIDIA does the graphics cards. Computers can't run these games without the graphics cards. They're working with Bitcoin. They're probably working with Ethereum. That's more of like the safe investment route, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So definitely look for those, those kinds of things. And then, uh, just what about venues? Do you think, do you think venues are going to be a big deal? (sighs) It's such, because we're in a, such a new world. Uh, that one is really difficult because yeah. I've seen any time I've seen a brick and mortar venue set up in Toronto, it has gone down. Mm, interesting. And Toronto isn't a huge population, but but we're we're the kind of the biggest little bubble in Canada. So I think us including the whole GTA is probably like six million, three point three downtown Toronto. Um, any any brick and mortar venue I see is empty. Mm. Like there's no one in it. Just because of COVID or pre-COVID? Pre-COVID. Wow, okay. You had to like beg students to show up and it would be like $5 to enter your space. They give the tournament organizer $5. They spend hours, hours, six hours in your place playing Smash Brothers. There's 50 of them. They're not buying your food. They're ordering Uber Eats, Mm. you know, and they're just using your electricity i have not seen a single esports geared facility survive yeah interesting it's really rough yeah Yeah. and that's uh, that's where i think you that is that where a lot of the riffraff comes in when you know people get together in the same venue and it's a smash brothers tournament and you know smash bros tournament and those guys are you know, those folks are there. Is that where is that where things really get nasty when they're all when everybody's all in one place? Or is it even when people are separated and online, the community is just gross? So for Ontario Smash Brothers, I will say those are very fine young gentlemen. 
Well, it's, it's Canada. Very, Everybody, everybody's <laughs> nice in Canada. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I very much appreciated all my time. They did uh, little tournaments out of Ministry of Game, and those went fabulously. But uh, I think a lot of the problem is like hotel venues. So you have like the ballroom rented out and okay. then there's the hotel and then uh, people struggle with alcohol, you know, okay. and they make bad decisions. Um, there's big tournaments in Las Vegas and we've all made mistakes at those, yeah, you know. Bad. There's, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, there's definitely places where that thrives. Um, but I think if you have it in a place where, you know, it's it's like it begins structure it structure arena yeah. yeah 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 if it's at a hockey arena it starts there it, you know it's done go home yeah if you're gonna go to an after party go go with someone you trust like there's there's lots of situations that seem normal at regular events and if you're an event organizer you're like oh we do this and then there's an after party yeah. <laughs> and then th those kind of things don't run well i understand I, I I get it. Yeah, no, no, I yeah. get it. Um, talk to me about uh, you know, the the final final area that we'll talk about, and then I want you to share your background with people before uh, before we wrap up. The final area. Let's talk about equipment, right? You mentioned three thousand dollar computer. Uh, like internet speed is a big deal too. Mm -hmm. Like talk about because you're you 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 have to get involved in this at the at mm -hmm. the college. So talk about um, equipment. What type of equipment is required in order to, you know, for, your, for all your players in order to have a team? What is really interesting is, uh, yeah, so each game requires its own equipment. So for Smash Brothers, they like to use the old-style Nintendo GameCube controller, and that is the industry standard. And to find an old GameCube controller is sometimes like $100 now. Mm. where people are now going to Japan, buying up tons of old used Nintendo controllers and then flipping them here for like 200, 150, and they bought them for pennies. Um, so the Smash Brothers have that. Uh, the fighting game players, do I have something close by? I do-ish. They like the fight sticks, like the old arcade sticks. So it oh, has, really? has to look like the arcade cabinet and then there's two layouts there's american style layout which is just the buttons are flush one two three one two three and then japanese style which is fanned and then you have to pick do you like a bat top or do you like a ball top and then do you like a square gate or do you like an octo gate with like it's like a stop sign mm. Um, so th that comes into play. A stick, mine is, I think I have a Kwamba stick. Kwamba is a stick company. I think it ran me like 400 USD wow. probably. Yeah. yeah. And then and then I customized it. I was like, she's got to be pink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Call of Duty players, they need either a PS5 right now or a PS4 Pro. So PS4 Pro, that's $400. And and then they don't like, so the regular PlayStation controllers, they're about 80 each, but the Call of Duty players like uh, what's called scuff controllers. So they have a special raised joystick that makes it a little bit easier to maneuver. So I think we bought, because Call of Duty is our flagship, I think we bought each of the players a scuff controller that stays at the school that they can rent out each term. And those I think are like $200 each. Mm. Um, computers, if you want like a really nice machine, our school blessed us with the best. They basically went on the Alienware website and I think we have like $4,000 a machine. Wow. And our school bought 24 for the students to play on at school and then six portable machines because when you go to a tournament, it's like bring your own device. Okay. So we have like six portable ones that the students can go and play on it. Because again, it's like that comfort thing, like no matter what your background is, like it doesn't matter if you are rich, poor, your socioeconomics do not affect you at the college. You're a yeah. student, you have dignity, and you can play on the best machine. If now, you're let me let me ask you. So so in the, so when you're competing, your team. So each player can have their own controller set up however they want. Is it mm -hmm. so? How do you know if somebody's got a competitive advantage? They're using a controller that gives them a competitive advantage. Is is that is that a thing or no? The programs themselves have a checker. Oh. So when okay. you when you go online, there's a lot. Now that. 
That's not to say that cheating doesn't happen. A big thing is called like stream sniping. So if my Call of Duty team is streaming, the opponents could look and they could see like, what are we talking about? What's going on? Oh. It's not super common, but some, some teams do. You know who you are. We know who you are as well. <laughs> it's not a secret. <laughs> but even, even then, they, you, you still have to be super quick. If you can, so you got you to gotta pick up what they're saying and then react to it, right? It's, it's, not, it's real time. It's There's not... usually someone there who's like, okay, they're thinking about this and oh, they'll listen okay. on the voice comms um, that can relay that information to a team. Or if it's like one of the card games, they can look at the stream and be like, they have these cards, oh, right? Like sure. it's like playing with your poker yeah, hand reveal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, okay. The nice thing about the streaming part though is like my Call of Duty team is the best. I don't care if you see what they're doing. <laughs> you're <laughs> not going to get you're not going to get them anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, that's really cool. That's really cool. All right, so tell us give us your story. How how old were you when you when you started playing and did you start playing fighting games first and that's how you got into it? Tell us tell us your background story. Uh, so I am in a family where I mostly have male cousins and I'm the youngest. I'm like the only girl. So the one Christmas, my grandma, I guess Canadian benefits were great that year. I was probably like three or four years old and she bought all of us like Sega Genesis. So I didn't even, I opened it and like, I didn't even know what it was. It was just like a big colorful box. I'm like, my grandma got it for me. I don't know what it is. So my dad set it up and they would just leave me to play. And that essentially is when my parents found out that this was the greatest parenting tool. <laughs> like if they, if they wanted to just like read or go like, you know, how you, your parent, you would just want sure. some you time. They were just like, why don't you go play Sega? <laughs> or like if my cousins and family come over, they're like, you can all just go <laughs> play this and uh, then eat at the kids table. So I started at a very young age playing games and then, um, when I got into a competitive scene, it was because I liked um, a certain computer game where you like, it's like, they're called bullet hell, where all these bullets fly at you. Mm -hmm. And then you have to like go very carefully and avoid them. And then uh, they, they made the fans of that game made a, a fighting game. Mm -hmm. And so my friend was over and he was like, if you like this, you'll probably like Street Fighter. And I don't like to do anything halfway if mm -hmm. I do something. So I found out Street Fighter actually had like a competitive scene. And then I like hunted people down on Facebook. I challenged the guys at my university. There was like a Super Nintendo in the computer science block. And I was like, any amount, you can pick my character, like let's fight. And from there I got in the competitive scene. I stopped competitive Street Fighter. This is 2009 when Street Fighter 4 came out. And I wanted to finish my degrees. So I have two degrees. And then it's about 2015 and I just decide, let's, let's try this Twitch thing out. What is this? From there, I get noticed by Capcom. And they're like, oh, like it's no secret. There's not a lot of girls in esports. Mm -hmm. Like it's getting better, but it's just, they were, it, it's like men in the makeup community on YouTube. You're mm -hmm. like, what, what's this? What's, wh you're different. What's going on here? And then uh, I would show up to my local tournament in Toronto. I did not live in downtown Toronto. So I would get, I lived two or three cities over. I would get on a bus and then bus to the tra train station, get on a train, go downtown Toronto. Oh, my seven o'clock alarm, pardon me. Uh, get on a train in Toronto and then take the subway to the tournament. Wow. And this was like a three hour commute there and back every week. And I was so embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to know. So they're like, where do you live? I was like, young in Eglinton, I'm happening. I'm downtown. They're like, oh, do you want to get dinner with us? And I was like, if I get dinner, I'm not going to get back till 3 a.m. I live in a really bad neighborhood. I could get mugged. <laughs> so I did that for a few years. I led like this lie where I was like, no, I live, I live super close, but I don't ever want to hang out. <laughs> And so Capcom found me on those local tournaments, the Toronto top tier tournaments doing like hopping on the mic and being like, hey, I'm commentating this. This is fun. And then they said, develop yourself and then we'll bring you on the pro tour. So I would like study the game, look at the frame data. And then uh, even if I wasn't 
perfectly amazing at the competitive side of the game or perfectly amazing at knowing like every single detail. They really liked, uh, you know, the improv aspects. Like if the show needed to be delayed 45 minutes, they're like, you're, you're good to go. Uh, from there, I joined a team. I joined a team called UYU, and that was like a roller coaster of emotion for two years. I think my, my official contract is like three months, but I was with them like quite a while. Uh, and then, I don't know, you know, when you get established, like I'm in my 30s now, I'm like, it's it's just a lot flying between Atlanta, LA, London, England, you know, all these places. I was like, I just kind of want to stay in Toronto which is where my friend from years ago, who I did a esports show with, Replay, he was the producer. He was like, Humber is looking to hire people for the esports program with experience. Do you want to come to the college? And I was like, oh, this is so serendipitous, you know, where I was just kind of like, what, what do you say when you're unemployed? I'm in between jobs. <laughs> I'm just I'm just I'm on a spiritual journey and so then I was with Humber College and I just was like oh I can use just all my knowledge and just give it sure. to the children sure and you, you have a big you have a big role now that's great that's terrific yeah all right so this has been really enlightening really amazing what is the what is the best resource so if you're if you're an older guy like me or you're you know somebody who's listening to this and you're just a business person and, and you were always into gaming as a kid obviously not professionally but now you'd like to get into it from a business aspect what where should we go to learn more about esports what's what websites should we be going to to read up is there you know is there a a, an online community we should join what should we be watching on twitch give us the you know give us in, in two or three minutes give us the the place to go to educate ourselves as quickly as possible yeah so i i wake up every morning and i hit two sites that's esports observer and esports insider uh, one is a subscription base and the other is free and just going through and it'll be organized by you know games that interest you you'll mm -hmm. get uh hit pieces you'll get you know uh looking at scores and then you'll get which brands are getting into it so anytime there's a big signing those two sites will have it uh, mm. whether it's endemic or non-endemic and the non-endemic is always what interests me so if you see one car company invest you know the other car companies are going to invest mm. uh the the last big thing that really got me Excited was last year Louis Vuitton got involved with League of Legends. Oh wow! And Louis Vuitton did uh, full character designs. Oh boy! They had uh, they did the trophy case was all Louis Vuitton and it was like futuristic. Like you push a button, it opens, it lights up. And I was like, this is a brand who is a huge fashion house. They're very established and now. I never thought I'd see them in video games. So that makes me think, you know, if Louis Vuitton take a chance. Uh, what's Chanel gonna do? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. or then like some of the lower houses like getting into like what's Marc Jacobs gonna do, and then the lower houses like what's Tommy Hilfiger gonna do, right? Like mm -hmm. where are we gonna see these non-endemics pop up? So it's really good for just kind of forecasting that, and maybe you're in one of those companies, right? So you know Hyundai did like a huge thing where they let players like drive the cars around and stuff. So if you're over at Chrysler or Ford, you might be like hey, this is happening with Hyundai. I think our department should explore this too. Uh, so I definitely say Esports Insider and Esports Observer. That's like, you know, after the Nespresso goes, that's where I am, <laughs> just going through everything. And then the other thing is there's like a stats website. And uh, you can find the CEO on Newzu, or on uh, LinkedIn, and he added me, and I was like, oh my goodness. And the website is called Newzu, N-E-W-U. Z-O-O. -O. Okay. I don't know what it stands for, but they just pump out infographic after infographic and papers on esports. And at first I was like, because again, uh, someone who loves academia, I have plenty of degrees. I work for a college now. I'm like, is this conjecture? What are your sources? What mm -hmm. is this? What is this? Every single esports deck I have seen has stats from this website. Hmm. Okay. So I... It has become industry standard. Again, uh, I really need to explore, you know, I like to ask like, I'm like, who authored this? What was the sample size? Like, is it this, is it that? It doesn't matter. 
-hmm. everyone is using this website for stats. So if you are looking to, you know, get your company involved and you want to look at it, what I will say though, is even though this is a billion dollar industry, you are not going to get those billion dollars unless you put in a lot. It's, it's just, it's a lot. You already kind of need those partnerships. Like when I tell people, I'm like 500, thousands a good number to start up a team they're like i don't believe you <laughs> that that's impossible i don't i'm just i'm just gonna do it on my own i was like well i'm still gonna charge my consultancy fee and thank you <laughs> like okay don't believe me it is a big investment just think just just you can do it yourself just take one player pretend you pay him 500 dollars a month and fly him to las vegas find him a hotel and then do like an uber cost from the hotel to the tournament do maybe 10 of those sure, trips. Sure. No, it's, it's a, it's a full blown business. It's a, and, the, yeah. and that's, and that's why you see these days funds, hedge funds and, and, uh, you know, investors looking to invest somewhere in esports. So, you know, I think esports has been around for a really long time. And the fact that people like me are starting to notice now, there's going to be a lot of money, even more money pumped into it. And I think people, I think there's going to be more structure. And I think a lot of people, the people that I talk to, the people who have encouraged me to go down this road with the show, where we do an esports show one day a week, people just want to know where the best areas, where the best opportunities are to get in. And, you know, what, how much risk is involved and you know what the you know what the what the upside is going to be because to yeah. an outsider right now esports really looks like the wild west it looks like it's it's, it's high risk yeah low to medium reward right now yeah low to medium reward unless again and you get involved with peripherals are you investing in HyperX who does headphones are you investing in nvidia you know mm. so you can make safe bets by looking at just trending things with the big brands like HyperX is uh the esports label of kingston technology mm -hmm. right so then maybe instead of investing hyper x you're going to look at kingston shares mm -hmm. and like see what's going on there yeah so there's there's lots there's lots of ways honestly i really like even though i'm very biased i really think I think the best way to get recognition is collegiate scholarships. Like find out your local college, see where, you, like if you went to a certain college, call them, see if they have an esports program. And just like even 500 is just so, like it makes the world of difference to a student mm -hmm. because they're not at a part where they can, like they have to have a job, they play competitively and they go to school, yeah. right? Yep. So, so that difference is really big. And because it's getting a big, like turning into such a huge industry, if they make it, they're going to remember you. And that's when you're going to get your investment back. And either way you've invested in a student, it's like a feel good, you get a tax write off, you know, it's a very, it's a very good holistic, you can put it, you know, just be like, I've donated to a college, you're, it's good at a party to schmooze with, you mm -hmm. know, you're eating your caviar, and you're like, ah, <laughs> I've done a scholarship. And people are like having the champagne, they're like, oh, gorgeous <laughs> love it you know it's really good to do a scholarship oh, that's terrific <laughs> so how can people get in touch with you if they want uh, if they want help if they want consulting from you how can people get in touch with you uh it's easy to find me on linkedin jacqueline manor or just uh send, send me an email at the school jacqueline.manor at humber.ca i'm really i'm very i'm very easy to find <laughs> okay perfect we'll put all that in the show notes so jackie manor it has been a an absolute pleasure you really gave us a ton of knowledge so thanks very much we will as we continue down this journey with esports we're definitely going to have you back again when i have more stupid questions to ask you because <laughs> you can you can break it all down for us and that'll do it for another edition of the Inside BS Show. Once again, we took you inside all the BS that has to do with esports. Thanks for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. We are available wherever you get your podcasts. So although you can leave us a review anywhere, we prefer reviews on iTunes right now. Join us back here again tomorrow for another edition of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo. And until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.